this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are helping to shape the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who's doing interesting and important work and has a good story to tell. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to give it a good review on iTunes and to share it with your friends through social media. I've gotten some great feedback on past interviews, and I'm very excited about some of the guests that I've lined up for upcoming episodes. If you have any ideas about people I should interview, please reach out and let me know. You can get in touch with me on mountainandprairie.com. My guest today is Andrew Skirka. Andrew is most well-known for his ultra-long-distance solo backpacking trips, including the Alaska-Yukon Expedition, the Great Western Loop, and the Sea to Sea Route, which are roughly 4,700 miles, 6,800 miles, and 7,700 miles long, respectively. He's also completed countless fast and light trips throughout the Sierras, the Wind River Range, Zion National Park, and the Appalachian Trail, just to name a few. He's been named Adventure of the Year by both Outside Magazine and National Geographic Adventure, and he's also been named Person of the Year by Backpacking Magazine. Andrew is also a published author, having written The Ultimate Hiker's Gear Guide, and he's now completing the manuscript for the second edition of that book. His personal blog is full of detailed, information-rich articles about backpacking, gear reviews, and other endurance-related content. You should really check it out. It's at andrewskirka.com or just Google Skirka, S-K-U-R-K-A. On top of all this, Andrew is a guide, a speaker, and an accomplished ultra runner, having placed second in the Leadville 100 and third in the Run Rabbit Run 100. Just this past weekend, he placed fourth at the San Juan Solstice, one of the most difficult 50 milers in the country. Andrew's a great guy, and we had a really fun conversation. We obviously talked about many of his long-distance backpacking adventures, but we also dug into some of the details of the mental and emotional aspects of traveling through such remote areas for such long periods of time, completely alone. We talk about his personal background and how he became interested in adventure sports, and also about his decision to forego a traditional career in finance or consulting to carve out a career centered around life in the outdoors and adventure. As usual, I ask him about his favorite books, favorite documentaries, and favorite locations in the West. In just under an hour, we covered a ton, so be sure to check out the episode notes for links to everything that we discuss. You can find it at mountainandprairie.com slash Skirka. Thanks so much to Andrew for taking the time to come by and chat, and thank you for listening. So enough of my talking. Here you go, Andrew Skirko. All right, so uh, the first question I've been asking people with these interviews is, when you meet someone, what do you tell them that you do? <laughs> I'm, I always botch this. Um, yeah. Because it sounds really... Uh, Pathetic if you're like, well, I'm an adventurer. <laughs> it's just like, like just take yourself more seriously. Yeah. So uh, I I explain that I have my hands on a lot of things. Um, they mostly relate to outdoor education, so writing, guiding, speaking. Um, I consult for Sierra Designs, um, and uh, you know, a few little other odds and ends here and there. And you're that's a very modest answer because you're leaving out the the adventures that you've done so well i don't get paid to go on huge trips yeah or go on small trips yeah so 
when people say like, you know, what do you do? And when I look at like, you know, the way I, the way I spend most of my days, it's yeah. unfortunately not. <laughs> That's the reality. I, I get on a lot more than most, but it's uh, I'm not like a full time walker. Yeah. Well, and I think the reality is, you you look at any you know you've been in National Geographic, but you go through the pages of that, of that magazine and all the you know there, there are plenty of these adventurers, but they're to make that lifestyle work and to make those trips work, I imagine there's a, a ton of work outside of the adventure. Um, yeah, the only way to the only way that you can be doing it full time is if someone else is paying you to do that. Sure. And even then, the amount of time that goes into planning yeah. a trip, I mean, at least a trip that's of of, of any note, uh-huh. uh, like um, you're gonna have to spend some time in front of a computer planning it out. Sure. So, can you give us just a, a overview of some of your notable trips? Sure. So, um, I'm mostly known for these really long um, backpacking trips. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 2004, 2005, I did the Sea of Syria, which was 7,800 miles from uh, Quebec to Washington State. Then I did the Great Western Loop in 2007, that was 6,875 miles in seven months. And then I did the Alaska Yukon expedition, which was 4,700 miles by skis, foot, and pack raft. And that was in 2010. And then life kind of turned after yeah, that. Yeah. I think you know. So after the Alaska trip, I was I got back on like October. Um, I turned 30 that next March. Um, I met my now wife um, shortly after I got back. I was kind of tired before I left. Sure. Of, like, living out of plastic tubs yeah. and not having a permanent address and um also like uh having like really hustle financially Mm -hmm. like never kind of like i would get back from these huge trips and like literally not have a single dime of income like on the book like planned over the next like six or twelve months Uh like nothing so that kind of gets that's a little that's kind of a little bit too much pressure so um i kind of took a few years to get my uh, maybe build more of a, I don't want to say nest, but mm-hmm. like some more security. Sure. So um, I started guiding trips. I gave a lot more presentations. Uh, I wrote a book and that's all proved great. And I've got really good momentum now. And now I can, I do a lot of running and I, my, my new thing is uh, short is the new long. So uh-huh. I do a bunch of like shorter, but more intense trips. They're more like a week, week and a half. Yep. Um, but they are more compatible with a more uh a responsible lifestyle are those solo trips like like personal trips or do you do them with other folks or both? it's a it's a mixed bag yeah yeah um uh, last year i did last year i did four i'd say like four good backpacking trips uh-huh. I had one one trip i was with two other guys two of the trips were solo and then the last trip was a big game hunt here in colorado and i was oh, with nice. another guy where was that uh we went up into the indian peaks oh. It was very, very uh, weird to be walking out to the 4th of July trailhead with a bunch with of like, weekend warriors, <laughs> and I've got a pack full of elk meat, and it's literally, I my pack liner split, and I was like dripping blood out of the bottom of it, Yeah. and then these day hackers are like, do you know you're bleeding? <laughs> and I'm like, just, just get me to the car, like, give me, yeah, this is not a place to hunt. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I was up there running one time, and just cruising along the trail, wasn't paying attention, and all of a sudden I heard somebody say, hey! And there was a dude in camo with the bow, uh, you know, bow hunting, and he was right on the trail, and I didn't even see him until I was on top of him. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> well, bow hunting, you know, I don't think bow hunting is that scary because you have to be so close to the animal to... Sure. But uh, rifle season a little, is a little more nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so 
I mean, we could talk about, you could write 10 books about your adventures, but um, years ago I saw you speak at Neptune when mm-hmm. you had gotten back from your Alaska trip. Right. And I thought, I mean, that place was packed. I thought it was that awesome. Was, that was a fun presentation. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I think uh, I'm still on the record for biggest turnout. At yeah, I mean, I, it was yeah, packed. It was crazy. I couldn't yeah. believe it. And, um, well, I, I can't believe it because it's an unreal trip, but can you just kind of give us an overview of that trip, um, you know, a little more detail about it? Yeah, so I started in March um, up in northwest Alaska, yep. in small, um, they call it a city, but that's by Alaskan standards, so Kotzebue. Then I was on skis for the first, uh, about the first two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I skied uh, like basically along a network of snow machine trails down to the Alaska Range, mm-hmm. and then traversed the Alaska Range on skis. And the Alaska Range is home Mount McKinley, yep. which is the high, highest point. There it is over there. Yeah, you have a photo on your wall. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, Spring arrived, um, I picked up my pack raft and my hiking shoes, I floated out to the Lost Coast, to the, like the Gulf of Alaska on the Copper River, walked the Gulf of Alaska basically down towards Juneau, and then at that point I started returning to my kind of my original point. So I went, uh, floated the Yukon River up to Dawson, mm-hmm. um, then a route up through the Yukon Arctic, up into the Brooks Range, and then a tra- traverse of the Brooks Range to finish. So basically just a huge loop around all of Alaska. A huge loop, yeah. Well, you know, I think, so out of the 4,700 miles, I think, uh, like, it, almost 2,000 of it was in the Yukon. Maybe like 1,700, I'm thinking 1,700 was in the okay. Yukon. So not an insignificant amount. Got it. Yeah. And that trip, it seems like it was kind of the culmination of all your other trips and all your other experience built up to that. And I mean, because that, that's yeah. intense. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was super intense. I, w- I would agree that that was the culmination of... A lot of other things coming together. I mean, but that's that's kind of the way that a lot of my trips had been. Where I went and like cut my teeth on the Appalachian Trail. Sure. Didn't know anything. You know, learned a lot. My next trip was the Sea to Sea route, and that was like definitely a big step up because uh-huh. I, I spent the winter out on the trail. It was it was um, you know, like let's see that was seventy eight hundred miles, the longest trip I've ever done. So what was that like? Like almost three times as long as the Appalachian. Actually, uh-huh. more than three times as long as sure. the Appalachian Trail. It was eleven months long much more logistically involved, um, following trails that were much less used. Yep. Um, so I learned a lot in that. And then I, um, the Great Western Loop, again, up in the Annie, like mm-hmm. where it was, uh, the Great Western Loop was basically like how far, how fast, how late could I go? That's and nobody ever done that to. before, correct? No. Um, so that one was, you know, I would say it was like my, uh, my, the culmination of everything I learned as an on-trail backpacker. I and how was, old were you then? It's 2007. Uh, um, gosh, almost 10 years ago. So 20, I would have been like 26. Got it. Yeah. Um, culmination of everything I learned as an on-trail backpacker. I was, I was out there with like seven, eight pounds of food, or seven or eight pounds of gear before food and water. Um, I was averaging 33 miles a day. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and obviously the distance is, uh, it wasn't as long as the Sea to Sea route, but it wasn't. Are you amazed by that distance now? I mean, that the, amount of the distance is the distance isn't that big of a deal because the reality is like if you just sort of get up every day and hike some miles, you can coast along. You can get there. Yeah. Uh, I think what I find most impressive about that trip, looking back at, it, is how robotic I was. I mean, I was, I was just so I was ruthlessly efficient. I would get up at five forty-five. I'd be yeah. hiking by six. I would take a, my first break at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And my goals were, I used to say, uh, let's see, uh, 12 by 9, um, 
12 by 10. Is that right? Let's see. Just, um, 12, 12 by, was it 12 by 9? No, it must have been 12 by, 12 by 10. Uh-huh. So 12 miles by 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then I would want to do 20 by 1. So it was 20 miles by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm only halfway through my day. Because I would just like, I threw in a lot of 40 mile days. Did you have rest days? Did you do any rest days? I took seven days off, five of which were for my grandmother's funeral. Holy so cow, again, man. like, I mean, I just can't, like, looking back at it, like, how did I, <laughs> I just don't know how I, like, stayed on task sure. that long. Really impressive. remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing, and I want to talk more about this at some point, but the physical part, I can kind of get my head around it, but the, the mental part is what is amazing to me. Because it's one thing to get up and you know, do a hundred miles in 24 hours or whatever. And you go to bed, but by you doing that every single day, week after week after week, I just think that's unreal. Yeah, especially when I you're 25. Really know how to exp- I don't know how to explain. Cause I agree. I mean, I look back and I'm like, wow. I mean, the only thing I, I guess I would say, maybe two things. First is that the experience is inherently enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like sure. I am walking through awesome places. Yep. Um, my lifestyle is really simple. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm doing something every yep. day. Like it's very, it's like, like the satisfaction that like me, like, like, uh, a, uh, someone like someone who builds things. Sure. Like similar satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Like I did that today. It's very, very physical and tangible. Um, and then, uh, the other thing is like I was super committed. Mm-hmm. Like there was when I started that trip, it wasn't like, yeah, like I'm just kind of, kind of wander around <laughs> the West and maybe if I get back to the Grand Canyon, like that'd be great. Uh-huh. No. It was like, All I, in. I'm committed. Yeah. And so then the next step was the Alaska trip. Yeah. There are a few things in between, but yeah, basically like the next big trip where um, I was taking some of the skills that I learned in the two prior summers. So basically how to travel off trail, uh-huh. how to ski, how to pack raft, applying that on a level that. Um, and you were off trail a lot on that, correct? Yeah. That was, so out of the 4,700 miles on the Alaska Yukon expedition, um, it was something like uh, twenty two hundred miles of off trail travel, Our, and then another like thirteen hundred miles on the raft. So wow. that's again no. There were yeah. there are two things I remember from your presentation. One was um, there was some part that you had to walk through for maybe days, and it was almost like a swampy area where there were these uh, mounds of dirt, and then it was there was kind of dead space between them and so you'd walk and your ankle would turn or right you, or yeah you were, so those are tussocks and uh-huh. you find those mostly it's a it's a plant adaptation you tend to find them in areas with permafrost uh-huh. like low, uh, not low-lying areas but just um flatter areas with yep. permafrost because what happens is that the with the permafrost there's basically as a, a barrier to percol for to water percolating down through so in order for anything to grow in that kind of boggy area it has to kind of lift itself. So I have these tussocks and uh, yeah, they're all over the Arctic. So, and, but you can, you know, if you're skilled at it, you can look at a map and you can identify areas that are going to be covered in them and areas that aren't. Got it. That's one of the sort of arts of traveling off trails that you'd be able to look at a map and predict what is going to be there. And you've never been there before. But is that a result of having been up in Alaska before doing it and learning the hard way? Or could you do it? Like, could I do um, it if you taught me how? Maybe, but yeah. some personal experience sure. would, be, would be helpful. I think I think the best way to describe it is pattern recognition. Yeah, yeah. 
you've had some prior experience that taught you something, uh -huh. uh, you then apply that to a future situation. And you get really good at it. I mean, like from a, from if I have like an overlook of an area, I could look out and just based on the textures and the colors, I could uh -huh. tell you kind of what's what. Yeah, and yeah. And then pick a route. Got it. Um, and the other thing I remember from your presentation was you were cruising along and you came up right on top of a grizzly and you had to scare it off and it ran off and it uh, pooped on itself? Yeah, it pooped itself. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it actually, I didn't come up on it. It came up on me. Um, was that the closest call with, with wildlife no, yeah. or the trip? Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was really close. Is that the closest call you've ever had with wildlife? Uh, yeah. That, yeah, that one could have gone. I, I mean, we laugh about it now because the whole thing's really funny. I mean, yeah, the, as the bear ran away from me, it pooped itself. Yeah. Like this 30 foot long streak of berry poop yeah. along on the gravel braids. But uh, that easily could have gone the other way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've spent, have you ever added up how many years of your life you spent in the backcountry? <laughs> I'm sure I have a spreadsheet of it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, probably. I, the, big, the big ones are easy to count. Um, it'd be all like the little weekend trips sure. that I, I'm not, I, don't, I have less data on. So when you're on these long trips and you're out there primarily by yourself, I'm sure there's just, you know, there's all these doubts that can creep into your mind, or at least if I were doing it, there would be. So, I mean, do you have systems doubts about what just, you know, exhaustion, uh, fear, loneliness. The one thing that, on the big trips, like when you're, so when you're like largely off trail and it's very sort of, you're very engaged yeah. with the here and now, like, you know, there, there is no trail telling you where to go. So that's sure. up for you to, to be deciding that makes sense. every yeah. step of the way. And that, that's a big, I don't want to, I'll present it as a distraction, but it yeah. sort of you're engaged keeps you tuned in instead sure. of being able to sort of daydream about. That makes sense. Various things and, and like wallowing self-pity for yeah. hours on end <laughs> just hiking down this mindless trail. Uh -huh. uh, but I would say that the most difficult thing about traveling alone in the backcountry for extended periods of time is that you have very few opportunities to download your emotions. And uh -huh. the uh, it's in big wilderness, it's like it's a stressful environment. You're oh, usually yeah. uncomfortable. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, um, you're tend to be pretty anxious because mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after that. Yeah. And you might be having like really long distances between resupply points. So there's always, always the pressure, uh -huh. the overlying pressure of like, am I going to have enough food to make yeah. it another <laughs> 10 days? I mean, like, um, and if you're traveling solo, you need to deal with all that. Sure. If sure. you're traveling with somebody else, you can sort of talk it through and yeah. calm each other down. Yeah. So I mean, what is your technique for doing that? Just I mean, keep you, my game face on. Just keep focused. In, in between, stay focused. In between towns, and then when I get into town, I would usually give my parents a call. And I, out of all, like I cried on that trip multiple times, and I almost always was on the phone with my mother. That's understandable. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's, that's so impressive. Like I said, the, the mental aspect of it is is what is extremely impressive to me. Um, when so when you got home from that, what was the adjustment into real? real normal life like it was awesome was it really oh i was so excited to be done with that trip that's great <laughs> yeah i six months of, yeah so, of like constant discomfort and uncertainty yeah like, no, like my mom on multiple occasions said that she was concerned that i was going to come back with like ptsd sure 
because it was just sort of that. I hate to I like I like I'm wary of comparing it to that experience, but not that dissimilar. And just the real level of risk and uncertainty and oh yeah, uh, you know, just sort of that constant. Um, you know, they're like, you could die tomorrow. You could die this afternoon. I just read a book by Sebastian Younger, and he's talking about PTSD. Mm-hmm. And he says that, you know, obviously soldiers have it. Yeah. But a lot of Peace Corps volunteers who've been in really intense situations, mm-hmm. they come say. home and they yeah. have it. Yeah. And, and you know, your situation is, yeah. is right up there with that. I mean, every day yeah. there's something that could kill you. Right. So you, so but there was really no, no problem readjusting? Um, no, I was pretty excited about it. That's good, man. Yeah. You've got the right temperament for it. Yeah. I've been on a few longish trips, and when I come home, it's just kind of like a letdown. But I mean, that's three weeks, you know, like climbing Denali, and you get home, yeah. and kind of like, oh, I don't want to mess with emails. So, you know, I get that too. I think it's um, what. Thankfully, it wasn't my first time at the rodeo. I uh-huh. know, they think the one of the things that's really important. Um, if you, and this would apply more more than just to a. An expedition but like yeah. whenever you get done with like a big goal uh-huh. like something that takes months or years and yep. just an incredible amount of time and effort and and energy um when you get done with it be prepared to put something else on your calendar sure that, like that forces you to get out of bed and get uh-huh. motivated for something so for me like that fall it was uh i got finished the trip in the beginning of september i was back in colorado by october um, and uh, within a couple of weeks of being here, I was like, I need to do something. I'm going to put a 50-mile race on my calendar. Nice. And that sort of held me accountable for the remainder of the year. Got it. Yeah, I do it similar. I always have to have goals or else, like you said, it's just, for it's, me, I won't, I won't yeah. do anything, which, I don't know, maybe that's a flaw, but I guess I've learned how to deal with I it. Think <laughs> I think that's human nature. We, um, even motivated people struggle to find motivation when they don't have anything to be motivated for. Yeah, you just got to set up systems, yeah. I guess. Um, so I'm really interested in your personal background. I know some of it just from you know seeing your website and seeing you speak, but where did you grow up? Grew up in southeastern Massachusetts, just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. Got it. And how did you get into the outdoors? Were you in Boy Scouts? No, or? not until college. Really? In co- and so you went to Duke? I went to Duke. I went to Wake Forest. Okay. My wife went to Carolina, so <laughs> oh, we're, all, we're all enemies yeah, we're, here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I was at... And Duke really had nothing to do with it either. I um, went to a job fair one day, and there's a... I met a... Um, a uh, camp director for a camp out in the western part of the state. Which one? Yeah, it's Camp Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I know that camp. I know yeah, okay. I do. Yeah, the reputation precedes itself. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. I had a lot of friends in there. I always went to the coast to um, Camp Seagull okay. on the coast. Sure, but uh, yeah. yeah, I know I know okay. all those camps are there. Yeah. So I worked for two summers out at camp. Okay. And I had always loved the outdoors growing up. Like yeah. We would go up to New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, and we'd do day hikes. And I like was totally into mountain biking. This is the early 90s. Sure. So. Um, but I really wasn't able to act on that until I got to college and then had a little bit more independence. Uh-huh. So I spent those two summers at camp. The, um, I hiked the Appalachian Trail in between my, let's see, well, I was still in college. I'm trying to remember. It, was, it must have been before my senior year. Okay. Yeah. Um, and How long did that take you? Three months. And did you, did you, was that the point where you realized, I can do this faster than average <laughs> faster than most i guess but my I mean, three months still is not yeah i'm looking back at it, not that impressive sure for, um for the appalachian trail it's it's quick um but 
I mean, gosh, I mean, it's only an average like 23 miles a day, 20 yeah. miles a day. That's yeah. Just for, uh, let's see, I guess it was, it was two, so five years later, I was doing 22 miles a day by like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you've got a, a somewhat skewed, uh, pers- yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, so, um, you know, and I didn't really figure out, it's difficult when you're in college and you have these, uh, and not just college, like it was an elite institution yeah. with classmates who were going to go on to do great things like you know they're now like high-end orthopedics or uh-huh. orthopedic surgeons and doctors and, and lawyers and and they're on wall street and, and they're uh, at big thick tanks in dc and yep. the other things and like the expectation was that i would do that as well sure when i went to duke I, that's kind of what i was thinking um but i suddenly had kind of this change of heart like in like, well, that's not really what I want to do. Yeah. So, but it's difficult to kind of find my own path in this. I bet so. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's hard for anybody to, to, if they want to do something outside the norm, you know, I mean, it's my, very hard. yeah, I mean, my, my job is I sell ranches and do land conservation work, which when I was in North Carolina, I didn't even know there was such a job as right. selling ranches and it's, yeah. it's outside the norm, but it's not even close to as outside the norm as yours. Um, so what did the first two years out of college look like for you? Trying to remember. Um, So I, one of the things I did before I graduated is my last summer in college, I actually took a fifth, like a a ninth semester. Sure. Came back for like half of a fifth year. Um, And I, uh, that summer I came out here to Boulder and I interned for Golight. Okay. And that introduced me to, to Boulder. It introduced me to the outdoor industry. Yep. Um, Kim and Coop have you know, been supporters of mine ever since. And then I graduated from college. Um, decided I was going to go do the CSC route. Uh-huh. I wasn't going to. And I ended up working for a few months just to kind of waiting for the, the window. To sure, sure. And then that was the first you know, 11 months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, and, it, and it never really stopped after that. I think the expectation was always that I would get a real job at some point. Yeah, get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah. get it out of my system. And uh, thankfully, you know, I started this when I was young and I had no expenses. Uh-huh. And I was willing to live like a dirtbag. Yeah. And I hustled and made it work financially. Like I was like, I was at least sustainable. Uh-huh. Actually, not, I take that back. Not all, like... I don't know how I did it because I look back at my like I you know how you get like a letter from the Social Security Administration yeah. saying like hey like here's like all your reported income for the uh-huh. last like decade and I look back at some of my numbers and I'm like holy how did you ever manage to earn that little amount of money and not only that but then I look back at my my like my investment accounts and I see that every single year I was like maxing out my Roth for for my Roth IRA yeah yeah so like. I'm not sure what I was eating, but um, <laughs> I couldn't have been, it couldn't have cost that much money because I don't know where I'm like, that's about like what I could afford. Yeah. So like to feed myself and that was it. So, so it, I would imagine you get approached by young people or people of all ages who would like to have a lifestyle similar to yours. Um, do you ever, I mean, what's your answer to people like that? Because I think, I think there, you know, replicating what you've done is would be really really difficult to do and you've already done it so a lot of what you've done has been new so nobody could really replicate it but i would imagine there's some lessons for anybody who wants to do non-traditional whether it's acting or right. know, art um, just because you were able to 
follow your passion and make it work financially with a lot of hard work. So, I mean, do you ever have any advice to those people? Well, I think that's the, that's the advice. It's like, be creative, be resourceful, yeah. be scrappy and work really hard. Work hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what I do now did not just land on my lap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's clear. And, and it's constantly evolving. Sure. Like what I did last year is not what I'm doing this year. And what I'll do next year is not what I'm doing this year. So if you, how old are you now? 35, 34? 35. 35. If you could talk to yourself when you were getting ready to walk out of Duke, what would you, would you have any advice for yourself or are you pretty? Um, have even less doubt about the direction you're taking really? than you had at the time. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think that's the one at that point in my life. And that was the big challenge for me. It was, it was trying to be true to myself while, um, everyone else was saying you're not making a good decision mm -hmm. well you look I, I read biographies I just inhale biographies and um, you look at anybody whether they're a business person an athlete um, artist it's the same story every time if you're going to do something new and something that's impressive and something that's going to really mean something it's the same story you got a bunch of people including family members oh. saying you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I think, again, it goes back to the mental aspect, just being able to power through. Yeah. So good for you. Um, did you have any outdoor mentors as a, as a kid? I mean, cause I feel like you've, you do a lot of this stuff by yourself. I mean, is there anybody you've either known or that you've read about that you admire somebody that there's some people that I've definitely picked up some stuff along the way. Uh -huh. Um, but you know, for better or worse, a lot of what I've learned, I've learned the hard way, which is by making mistakes. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, and I tend to be, you know, I don't want to call myself a loner, but I tend to be a solo person. Um, so it's just kind of my style of um, getting it done on my own. Yeah. Um, is there a specific mistake you can think of that you made at some point early in your career that you're, it was awful at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best things that could have happened to you as far as lessons learned. Um, I was, so the C to C route, I was planning on, um, I wanted to, I was planning on flip-flopping it. Uh -huh. So I was going to start in Pennsylvania and hike, I think I was planning on hiking west. Okay. And then I was going to go back to Pennsylvania, maybe like go uh, maybe go up to Quebec and then hike back to Pennsylvania. And Got I was it. doing that because I wanted to avoid spending the winter out on the trail. Uh -huh. And I ended up um, getting hurt really early on in the trip, having to bail. What kind of injury? Uh, I strained my hip flexor. Got it. Um, and uh, maybe the lesson there was to um, do things the right way. Mm -hmm. Like that C to C route should have been hiked C to C. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe not a great example, but it was, you know, that was a sort of humbling sure. first experience. I would add to, like, I just generally wasn't prepared enough for for that round. In what way? Hadn't, just hadn't been able to put in the time. Didn't really know quite how to put in the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe another more relevant mistake. Um, uh, um, so a lot of the choices of, like, there are good... Um, I should have I should have taken the opportunity to learn more from other people, uh -huh. um, but you know that can be a little bit tough because it's signal to noise ratio can be tough sometimes. Sure. But you know, find some credible person who really knows what they're talking about and and like like figure out what their mistakes were. Yeah. And like I pro like 
you know, a little bit too stubborn or maybe a little bit too cheap early on, with, especially like some of the gear decisions I made. Yeah. Like, so like when I started the Appalachian Trail, not a single thing that I finished with, uh, or not a single thing that I started with did I finish with. Really? Yeah, not a single thing. <laughs> yeah. and well, so, that's a good lesson so, right there. So, you know, as this cheap college kid uh-huh. who didn't want to buy a book to like show, to like tell me what I like buy some, I don't, you know, I don't know what book I would have bought at the time. Like someone who knew what they were talking about yeah. probably had written a book back then, and because they're like, hey, here's here's really how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I was too cheap to buy the book, and in the process, ended up spending, you know. Hundreds, maybe thousand dollars more than I needed to. <laughs> but you got the RA maxed out, so that's good. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so you do some guiding, or you have. You're not doing any any this year, is that correct? No guiding this year, at least at this moment. Um, do you have any just general advice for people who would be interested, who, who want to do their first long distance hike, like say a month? Or no, say the AT, they want to do the AT. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to them? Not, they're not super experienced. They're just, they're, they're, they've read your stuff and they've read your blog and they want to give it a shot. What would your advice be? Um, go out for a weekend and make sure that this experience is for you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people quit within the first week of it's the AT. It's astounding. I bet so. And some people quit because... Um, Actually, I'd say a lot of people who quit, quit because they're like, wow, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And they're probably carrying too much junk, too. That's part of it. And, um, yeah, that's part of it. Um, and so, uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, you, I'm sure you guide and advise a lot of pretty experienced outdoors people and backpackers. Um, is there a certain... I don't know if you'd say mistake, um, but but something that you see a lot of experienced people doing when it comes to backpacking or camping or just backcountry travel, that uh, that you think that it's just a, a no-brainer that if you, if you did this, it would make it a lot easier. If you or if you stopped doing that, it would make it a lot easier. Mm, nothing that comes to mind. I, I think that the the big limitation for every single person is just first-hand experience. Sure. And even, uh, I work with um, a lot of individuals who are super competent, mm-hmm. really quick learners. Um, they, and what happens is that um, they just, they haven't spent enough time out there. Mm-hmm. So they have, like, their gear is dialed because they were able to spend enough time online reading, sure. figuring out. But then they come out and they just, they don't, like, they're not proficient with, like, how to use a compass. Mm-hmm. Or they're not, like... Like for them to relate things that they're seeing on their topographic map with the landscape around them, just they're not quite there. Got it. And uh, and that's just an experience thing. It's just like you just have to get being, out there and do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There's um, only so much that you can be taught. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, I lived in Central America for a year, and I went. I'd never surfed before, and I started surfing. And it's that I feel like that of, of every activity I've done, it's a product of just you have to spend time in the water. There's no other way. You just right. have to stay out there. Yeah. It's really hours in the water. There's yeah. some ratio to hours in the water to proficiency on a surfboard. Because yeah. it, and it's the same in, in the yeah. backcountry. You just well, have to do it. I don't remember the author, but there's a couple of years ago that book about the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah, yeah. And that's there's a lot of truth to that. Sure. And now, granted, you know, you can. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if you ever took like a lesson from somebody, but if you gain like a certain level of first-hand experience, like taking a lesson with someone can do a lot of good. Oh, yeah. Because you're just sort of like, you've got enough 
firsthand experience to like actually comprehend what they're telling you. I agree. And then you, like, that can save you a lot of time. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was just you being out there. Yeah, I took a lesson skiing um, probably five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. After skiing for forever, my wife yeah. gave me a lesson, and it was unbelievable yeah. how much better. I was just making a sip. Oh, she. No, my wife paid okay, for the she, lesson for my okay, birthday, which like, may have been a hint. Like, you can't keep up with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know what the rule is like, spouses should never try to teach each other how to Oh, ski. yeah. Yeah. My brother in law tried to do that for my uh, sister in <laughs> disaster. Yeah. Um, so, your current life, um, you are taking a break from guiding and speaking. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not doing much guiding. I'm not doing um, much speaking. And so you're writing and Mostly running writing, a lot. Writing, running. I mean, not the running pace. So uh, this year, uh, I'm almost done with the second edition of my gear guide. Okay. That maybe even by the end of the week here. Um, uh, so that's been a big project. Um, I came out with a guidebook for the Wind River Range earlier this year. Last year, I came out with a guidebook for the Kings Canyon. Kings Canyon route in the Kings Canyon National Park. Um, so that was a big project. And all these can be purchased on your website, right? Okay. Um, and then I've, I've been pretty I'm getting more active on the blog again. Uh, the writing the book has kind of kept me away from it this year. Sure. Um, so yeah, a lot of it's been a lot of it's been content this year. And I think your blog is great because it's it's actionable and it's full of data and information. Whereas you look on some people's blogs and it's just kind of self congratulatory stories about how great they are and yours is i mean it's like a guidebook or it's like it's tons of content that people would pay for if it were in a book you know and so i think it's that's a huge service to people yeah i try to make it i try to make it um informative like you know there's a lot of fluff out there the reality is that good good content takes a while to write Mm -hmm. because sometimes um sometimes you need to like especially when it comes to like something like gear reviews you can't just go out with like a pair of shoes for like a run or two yep. and say like, well, here's, here's what I think of them. No, uh-huh. you need, to, you can go out for like, say, you know, 50 miles, say like, Hey, here are my early impressions. Yeah. Yeah. But then 500 miles, you have to later, you have to come back and say like, all right, like, here's what this shoe's looking uh-huh. like after 500 miles. Here's yep. like my final thought on who this shoe, who this shoe will work for, who it won't work for. I think, yeah, I, I've yeah. looked at your blog extensively and there's tons of value on there. Like the Ultra, the, the one you recently did about the Ultra right. running shoes, I've been thinking about getting some of those. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that helped a ton. Good. Um, I'm not going to switch now, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as your writing goes, is, is that, have you always been a good writer or have you always enjoyed it or is it hard for you? It's actually kind of hard. So I'm a, I would say I'm more of a technical writer. Uh-huh. I, I'm, I don't write like lots of prose. Sure. I'm sure. not much of a storyteller, but I, I have a, seem to have a good ability to take a lot of information and deduce it into, um, uh, coherent. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, coherent thoughts the layman is going to understand. Sure. Is it, um, do you have any specific methods for writing? I mean, is there is there a way you force yourself to do it? Because I notice on your blog, it's almost every single week um, to the day almost that you publish a post. And then I remember a long time ago, I, I follow you on social media, and you were I guess it was when you were first writing the gear guide, and you put up a spreadsheet of how many words right. you had written per yeah. day. And I yeah. thought that was so impressive just to be able to stick to that. Yeah. Um, no, I don't have any... I don't, there's, there's no like, 
sort of specific way that I structure my writing. Um, probably pretty standard. I come up with a little bit of an outline beforehand uh-huh. and then try to get into it. Crank through it. Yeah. I guess if you've, after you've been, you know, month two by yourself in the Alaskan wild by yourself, I think writing is probably a little, yeah. <laughs> a little easier to self motivate. I will say that the one thing that really helps me with with the writing that I do is so like the writing, the gear guide, and 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 the blog as well as that. The way that I want to write and mm-hmm. the, and the way that my mind thinks, it's pretty compatible with the way that people now like to read. Mm, yeah, so like lots of bullet, bullet points, points, lots sure. of headers. Yeah. Short sentences. I think that's great. Yeah. And it gets the info across and yeah. it's valuable and doesn't waste time. And yeah. You know, that's it's great to write these flowery sentences if you're good at it, but most people that write those sentences are not good yeah. at it. And it's just a waste of time. Right. Um, and so you're, I want to talk about your running a little bit. You've done 200 milers. Is that right? She went under miles. And you, the yeah. first one you showed up, got second place, Leadville. Yeah, Leadville. Other one showed up, third place. Well, I, I did more than the second one. I just I did more than show up. In yeah, like I actually trained for that one. <laughs> but like, yeah, Leadville in 2008, I would say I kind of showed up. I wasn't planning. I mean, talk about how ultra running has changed. Um, I was went for a run with a buddy of mine in like maybe like May, uh-huh. and or maybe even it was June. I don't know. It was late. Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Hey, like, um, he's like, yeah, I'm signing up for Leadville later this year." I'm like, "Oh, that's really cool. When is it?" And he told, tells me it's the middle of August. I'm like, you know, I think, I think I got that open on my calendar. Like, I'm gonna look at it. <laughs> and this is like again, like May. So what are we like? We're like three months out. Sure. And uh, and I signed up, and like, and in between that, I went, like went to Iceland, walked across Iceland. I went to the High Sierra in California, did the Sierra High Route. Yeah. Didn't really run that much, and yeah, show up and play second. <laughs> and um, uh, you could, I mean, that's the time I ran it, it was pretty respectable, but it wouldn't get you second place that often anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then Run Rabbit, um, that was different. Like, I, I legitimately trained for that one. And, sure invest a lot of time well that was a stacked field too my wife and i were actually in steamboat that weekend and yeah, there are a bunch of names you see oh yeah yeah it's a totally stacked field but it's, but uh you know no one is immune from blowing up if they go out too hard yeah that's exactly or it. if they've over raced and so you started out re- moderate relatively slow but you just reeled people in the whole time um i would say that i started off um at a pace that was uh, proportional to the winner, uh-huh. just slower. Sure. So, I mean, that's the remarkable thing. If you look at ultra running splits, we were talking about yeah. this a little bit before we started recording. Um, the winners run the most even race. Uh-huh. That's basically the way it happens. Yep. And everyone else runs too fast at uh-huh. the beginning and fades towards the end. And as you get deeper into the field, yep. they get slower and slower and slower as the race goes on. Because uh-huh. you'll see it like, you know, we're both going to be down in Lake City this weekend. Uh-huh. And the gun will go off at the starting line, or for that, probably some guy will just go, okay, go. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the gun will go off. And there will be people there who are going to take, what's the cutoff? 20 hours? Uh, 16. The cutoff is 16 hours. There are going to be people who are chasing the cutoff. Yep. Okay, and they are going to be running a nine minute mile down that forest service Mm -hmm. road to start the race. Yep. Well, guess what? (laughs) They're going too fast. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, the winners, um, he's going to be probably floating along at like 7.30, eight-minute pace yeah. on that Forest Service Road. So he's going like, he's going faster, but not that much faster. Sure. 
But then if you look at the end of the race, like that guy's still running all the uphills. Oh yeah. And uh, and hauling on the downs, and the guy who's chasing the 16-hour cutoffs is probably walking the uphills and walking the flats as well. In my limited experience with ultras, um, you can always tell, you can always see a few people early at the top of one of the first climbs who, sorry, there's a lawnmower out there, um, who are in over their heads, like a run, rabbit, run. Yeah. People go up that first, and you can see people at the top of the gondola who can't breathe. Yeah. And you're just thinking, uh-huh. man, you got 90 or 100 more miles to go. Yeah, basically 100 more miles to go. This is not, not even the warm-up. There were... I remember that first climb out of the out of the base area there, and there were people around me that were literally in oxygen death. It sounded yeah. like that they were doing like a track workout. Yeah, wind sprints or yeah. something. And like you are in for a long day <laughs> if like just and I understand it. We're all excited. Sure. And like and especially at that course, um, it, there's kind of it has to be a single file line because yes. the trail's really tight, and you kind of feel bad about holding things up behind you. Yeah. You want to keep up with the person in front of you because your ego is a little big, but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I and I even fell victim to that. I was upset with myself last year at Run Rabbit for letting my heart rate um, be in like the low one fifties for the first forty five minutes. Of the uh-huh. Like that's not that I can't keep yeah. that for what like eighteen more hours. Yeah, I mean yeah. that was I fit, when I did I did the Colorado Marathon in uh, beginning in May and my my average heart rate for the whole race was one fifty two. Wow. So if I'm at 155 at the start of run, yeah. run, yeah. guess what? Long day. Yeah. <laughs> or a very short day. <laughs> or a very short day, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. I'm excited for Lake City. So like I said, I'll, I'll wish you well at the starting line yeah, and then see never you see you again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, I've got some kind of quick questions that I've asked prior people that I think get some pretty interesting ideas. You don't have to give a, give a quick answer, but... Do you have any favorite books that you uh, are that mean a lot to you, or that you recommend to others a lot? Um, the last really good outdoor adventure book I read was uh, *The Horizontal Everest* by I think it's Jerry Caplanco, and it's about um, he basically is infatuated with uh, Ellesmere Island. Okay, and he's does a great job in, of interweaving his um, personal experiences there yeah. with the history of the island cool i've never heard of that yeah uh, that's that one was really good and then um my wife picked a couple of years ago my wife picked me up a great book um gosh i can't remember the title of it now um but it's basically a sh- series of short stories on um expeditions from like 15 1400s through like the late 1800s okay oh gosh i'm trying i'm coming at a draw but i'll pick it up every once in a while and just read like a chapter yeah 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 and uh and i'll go back because like there's so many of them that i'll go back and read the same one and go like i think i've read this one before but nice um sorry i'm drawing a blank on the blank on the name but, that's right um, so those are yeah those are great I'm, i've never heard of of either of them especially the i'm gonna check the first one out um do you have any favorite documentaries or films uh, I have so I was a big sports fan growing up as a kid, um, and uh, kind of really turned away from it once I got into high school. And, but I've been thoroughly enjoying all the thirty by thirty. You're the second person to Netflix. say that. Yeah, they're so Man, good. They're so well done, and like just I mean, I've never even heard of some of these documentaries before. And like I watched one the other night on uh, Tim we- Tim Wakefield. And I haven't seen Ari Dickey on yeah, and uh, on basically like. The knuckleball. Oh yeah, how th- how slow they can it throw. It is yeah. just—it was an awesome documentary. It was like a fascinating topic. Like cool. This total niche of a niche of a niche. 
of you know topic, but just a fascinating thing. Yeah, I've, the the Bo Jackson one. Have you seen that? Bo one? Jackson one was great. I thought that was yep. really good. Yep. Yep. I need to. And then there was one on the um, the Fab Five from Michigan. Saw that one too. Yeah, yeah, and I don't even really care about basketball. No, I don't but either. <laughs> so yeah, good. No, they, but they kind of emphasize you know, it's the human it's the human part, which I thought, and like that was the Bo Jackson thing too. Like it was like you know I remember I I grew up. I was like a very influential child when, when there was the whole Bonos. Oh, sure, and, sure. Um, you know, all my friends had Bo Jackson shoes. and um, But I didn't know who Bo Jackson the man was. I, didn't, I hadn't thought about him in yeah. probably you know, 20 years. He's an impressive guy, man. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how good he was. Yeah, yeah. And I, kind of did, I also didn't understand the severity of his injury, which is why you never heard about him again. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, Kept replacing that 29. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> And then he came back for a yeah. while. I mean, if if one of those NFL players hit me as hard as they could, I would die. I mean, I would just die on the spot. My <laughs> and well, so, what do you think it do to me? Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any specific blogs or websites or online resources that you stay that you read on a regular basis to stay current, just kind of in the outdoor world or anything really? I've got. A, I follow a bunch of blogs. Um, the one, uh, the few that I enjoy most, um, uh, Steve Ratner, mm-hmm. who's a, um, he was the auto czar mm-hmm. of the Obama auto czar, and he he's kind of a dorky analytical guy, um, but just, um, he does he he goes on Morning Joe every once in a while, and uh, but he's more in like policy and like he kind of really gets at the numbers. So I follow his blog, um, and then. Um, the other blog, it's more, you know, you probably know High Country News. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So I enjoy reading those as well. Um, the others, um, you know, the, as far as the best backpacking blogs out there, um, the one, um, I would say Bedrock and Paradox is maybe one of the most interesting ones. It's written by this guy by the name of Dave Chenault. Uh-huh. And it's, um, it's just refreshingly honest and true yeah, and authentic yeah. that's um, cool um, and he's kind of philosophical and he's kind of abrasive and um, but it's like kind of a refreshing break from cool something that's a little bit more glossy like your junkie yeah 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 we'll have links to everything on the webpage so people can click through um, if you had to pick one place that's your favorite location in the west or Alaska or really in the world is there a single spot that stands out in your mind I'll give you a couple of my favorites. Yeah. Um, so the High Sierra, mm-hmm. California. Um, <laughs> I can't. I don't. I don't have an answer. So yeah, I'm always interested to hear what people say. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal, it's, especially with it's everywhere you. Gorgeous. Uh, the off trail travel there is blissful. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's just girthy and yeah. um, and it gets heavily trafficked. But if you know where to go, that's traffic's not an issue. Yep. Uh, so that would be that's definitely in there uh, Wind River Range in Wyoming yeah you know, uh, I would say like they're kind of like a smaller High Sierra mm-hmm. and a little bit more raw sure the weather is not as nice yeah um, the, the that, yeah it's basically the big difference the weather, yeah. the weather is definitely not as nice uh, and the the community there the people who go there tend to be a little bit higher a little bit higher end yeah it's more of a more of a uh, um, I don't know put this uh, the people who know go to the Wind River, Wind River Range maybe got it uh, 
Grand Staircase, Escalante National Monument in Southern Utah. Again, just huge wilderness area, really girthy, very remote. Um, so those are kind of the kind of some of the top three. Believe it or not, um, I don't typically recommend um, places in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Colorado is awesome for trail running and for sure. day hiking. For backpacking, I think it's a little bit tougher sell. Like our topography and the history of the state mean that um, there are just roads and trails mm-hmm. everywhere, and it's kind of kind of never and not just roads and tra- roads, trails, ski resorts, highways. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get away from it in Colorado. There's really no real wilderness here. I mean, you think Indian Peaks is spectacular, but you can run from one side to the other in a few hours. Yeah, and from the know? divide, you can look down on Denver yeah, on one side <laughs> and see Winter Park Ski Area on the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're camping at one of the Alpine lakes, if you just sat there, you think, oh, this yeah. is great. But, but right. no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, so most people that listen to this are somehow associated with the American West, whether it's ranching or conservation mm-hmm. or, you know, sports. Is there, are there any, um, or what would be your opinion on what the biggest threat facing the the West is? I mean, I guess if you read High Country <laughs> News, you, you, you have a lot of ideas. It's, the West is delicate. It is. I, um, and I've walked around the whole thing, and um, plus a lot of the places in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, water is a, water is the big driver. I mean, without if it stops raining or snowing, snowing mostly, uh, the West is in a world of hurt pretty quickly. Big time. Yeah, just when you look at yeah fires and drought and the amount of people out here now, and I'm With just more as guilty coming. as everybody else. Yeah, same but, here. I mean, we both came from yeah. the East Coast, but it's um, you know when you look at the population projections, yeah, there's just not enough water. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends. Um, there's still a lot of efficiency gains, I think, in the system. Sure. Like, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could probably, you know, if, especially if you start transferring, you know, God, like, if you tra- start transferring water out of agriculture and into into residential, that changes things a lot. Yeah. Um, you could you could continue to grow the population a long time. But, you know, is that the type of community you want? It's mm-hmm. another question. Uh, but yeah, I would say overall uh, the big issue is water. It's just a uh, um, kind of drives drives everything else. And I think too, you know, um, you know, if it is getting hotter here in the West, if it continues to get hotter, I mean, you look at how uh, just little changes, uh, like you know, the difference of a thousand vertical feet. Mm-hmm. What you find at what you find in Colorado at you know, say seven thousand feet versus eight thousand feet, yeah, like, yeah. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, and the shift of adaptation might be kind of painful if it happens a lot faster than mm-hmm. the, than everything has evolved to yeah evolve to yeah it's, we're gonna it's definitely gonna be interesting one way or the other um to watch the next 30 30 to 50 years out here I, yeah interesting is a yeah that's a optimistic word yeah. for it. <laughs> <laughs> um so if you could make a request of the listeners um what would it be uh, a, a cause that you support something that's important to you something kind of a message that you think more people should hear oh interesting um, uh, I would say more largely um, live the life that you want to live mm-hmm. yes <laughs> uh, it it, 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 you, it people will call it selfish and they'll accuse you of being self-centered and uh, and it is but um, I think that is probably the way that you'll be happiest. I agree, but I, you know, I think maybe your trips are 
maybe they are self-centered in the moment. But I remember when I emailed you, you said, I don't think I'm helping to shape the future of the American West. But if you say so, but I mean, you definitely are because you're inspiring people to get out and get out in the, in the back country and push their limits and you're writing books and you're writing these blogs. And it's, I, you may not realize it, but I think the ripple effect of that is huge. And you, you get somebody, somebody read your blog, they go backpacking, they never been, then all of a sudden they're focused on conservation because they want these places to exist. And so, Hey, you know what? If that happens, awesome. Yeah. But I can't control that. Yeah. I can control what I do today yeah. and tomorrow. And um, we'll keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and so how can people connect with you? Your blog? Sure. Yeah. My, uh, uh, I'm pretty easy to track down. Last name is S-K-U-R-K-A. You can find a website. I'm pretty accessible on email if you have any follow-up questions. You responded to my email very nicely, and I could have been a, a weirdo internet stalker. <laughs> so thanks no, you, for doing that. No, the, the, responding to your, your emails was I was like three days late, and I'm like I'm like, well, at least he's a Boulder guy, so I'll understand that I've out I've been out running too much. Yeah, so. and you had just done the uh, the Skyline Traverse. That's no joke. So yeah, Skyline's like a weekly event. Is it really? I know you're trying to do a, you know big weeks for me or 100, 100 miles of running with twenty thousand vertical feet. So. That's great, man. Start counting up. You need yeah, to, you gotta do you it. Need to do a skyline. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great. So thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you this weekend. All right. So there you have it, Andrew Skurka. Thanks so much to Andrew for coming by to chat with me, especially when we we're only two days before his uh, big race up in the San Juans. Um, thank you to everyone who's listening to this. Again, please share it with friends or family or colleagues, anyone who may find it interesting. If you have time, I'd appreciate a good review on iTunes. It just helps get it out in front of more people. And please uh, check in with me on mountainandprairie.com and let me know if you have any ideas for future guests. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again, and I'll look forward to talking with you soon. Bye.